I had an experience about a year ago. I was um, flying with my family out of the Minneapolis airport, and I was reminded of the importance of visible unity. So you've had this experience. You walk through an airport. You've done the online check-in. You drop your bags off. You get in that long, twisty line, and you come up to a TSA agent, and they take your boarding pass, and they take your photo ID, and they look to see if the names match, and then you go on through the security checkpoint. Well, I got to that TSA agent, and I handed him my boarding pass and my photo ID, and he said, uh, sir, these don't match. And I had a moment of panic. And I said, what do you mean they don't match? And he said, well, sir, this ID says James Gates, but your boarding pass says Jim Gates. And I said, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, but, but they do, right? Like, we all know it's the same name. He's like, uh, sir, I'm sorry. They're, they're not the same name. I'm not sure I can allow you to go through. And I said, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Like, you understand that, that Jim is a nickname, right, for James. Everybody knows that, right? And by the way, the last names are the same. And by the way, look at that picture on the photo ID. It's a striking resemblance of me, right? Uh, how can this be a problem? And he's like, I don't know, sir. I don't think this is going to work. Uh, let me ask somebody else. I was like, yeah, you should ask somebody else. So he turns around. And he talks to his buddy who's the x-ray technician, and he says, hey, uh, this guy says uh, his uh, nickname is Jim, but his real name is James. Um, Do you think that's okay? What do you think about that? And the x-ray technician looks at him for a minute, and he says, well, I don't know. I guess it worked for Captain Kirk. (laughs) And I'm like, great. Okay, so I got the picture, I got the last name, and I got Captain Kirk on my side. (laughs) Still, this guy won't let me through. He's like, I'm going to have to call a manager over. I, and I'm, I cannot believe this. And then at some point I had this revelation. I realized this poor guy every day sits there and his job is to make sure that we are safe. And he's looking at names and he's looking at uh, boarding passes and they're always the same and he's bored out of his mind. And this is his chance to make a difference, right? And all of a sudden I'm like on his side. No, you should get your manager. Let's, let's you know, maybe, maybe let's do this by the book. And so the manager comes over uh, and immediately pops this guy's bubble and says, yeah, of course Jim is a nickname for James. Let him through. And I was like, sorry, buddy, you tried. You know, what? good attempt. Um, all of that reminded me of how important visible unity is. And sometimes that's something stupid, like the way your name is written on a boarding pass. Um, But often visible unity is something different. It's this idea that we in the church um, seem to be connected to each other and to our fellow Christians. And I mention this because often we don't seem to be visibly united. Often the name of the door might be spelled slightly different, Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or whatever. And because of that, we have this great debate, hey, are we all on the same team? Hey, are we all the same family? And, and I want to point out that 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 lack of visible unity, that division in the church, isn't original to us. We've had this problem since the beginning. This is exactly the problem that Paul is trying to address in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, there should not be divisions among you. You should be united in the same mind. You should be in agreement. It's been reported to me there are quarrels among you. Some of you say, I belong to Paul. Others, I belong to Apollos. Others, I belong to Simon Peter. Others, I belong to Christ. And I thought, boy, that sounds like uh, me saying, I belong to John Calvin. 
and my Lutheran friend saying, I belong to Martin Luther, and my Methodist friend saying, I belong to John Wesley. And, and this history of, of struggling to be united as a greater family of faith isn't new or unique to us. We've been struggling with this for a long time. In fact, fun fact, the, the greater Christian church averages a major division every 500 years. So around 450, we had a huge division where um, the we call them the Oriental churches, but they're the Syrians and the Assyrians and the Coptics kind of got kicked out. And then around 1054, we had the Great Schism and the Catholics and the Orthodox churches split apart. And then 1517, we had the Protestant Reformation and the Protestants left the Catholic church. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're due for another big division, right? Uh, and, and in those divisions, we, we divide over all kinds of stuff, right? And, and sometimes it's valuable and sometimes it's not, but I think there is some heartbreak for me, and I think for Paul, and I think for Christ, that Christ's family can't stay together. Uh, I actually have a little map. Will you put my, my first picture up? Uh, I, I've got a map. I know you can't read it from your seat. That's on, on purpose. But you can probably just barely make out there's dates on this little map and a whole bunch of lines, right? All those lines represent separate denominations coming together and splitting apart. And if you can read any of the dates, you can tell this is like 1700s to 2019 is roughly the window of the dates. And, and look at all of those lines, so those are all denominations coming together and splitting apart. Now, um, this is not all Christian denominations um, in the context of those 300 years. This is not even all American denominations in the context of those 300 years. Will you go to the next picture? Um, this is just Presbyterians, okay? This is just Presbyterians who can't get along with other Presbyterians dividing and reuniting and separating and coming together over and over again, right? That's crazy to me. What's, what's up with us, Right? Uh, and, and I look at that and I think, boy, that's kind of heartbreaking. Paul calls us to be united in the same mind and have the same purpose, be united in Christ, and we keep going our separate ways. You can take that off. Um, there's a story about a Presbyterian man who was shipwrecked, and he's stuck on a deserted island for a really long time, like four months. And after about four months, a, a rescue ship comes and finds him, and um, as uh, he is rejoicing and boarding the ship. The captain looks out to the shore, and he sees three huts on the shore. And he says, uh, sir, we're glad to rescue you. Where are the other people? He says, I'm the only person here on the island. He says, well, why are there three huts? He says, oh, well, the first hut is where I lived, and the second hut next to it is where I go to church, and the hut next to that is where I used to go to church. <laughs> why can't we stay together? Um, I think we in the church, perhaps not unlike the church in Corinth, um, divide and argue and debate over important and silly things. For Protestants, those of us who are of the tradition that left the Catholic Church in the 1500s, um, we have become comfortable dividing so much that we don't even think of it as an issue anymore, right? Of course we just go off and make our own version of Presbyterianism if we feel tired of the current one. We divide over the amount of Christ's presence in communion. 
We divide over the appropriate age at which we baptize. We divide over the style of music. We divide over the length of the band leader's beard. We divide over the difference between debts and trespasses, over the use of cran grape versus grape juice. That's a real division. Over the kind of coffee served after fellowship. And by the way, it's not just churches. We all do this individually too, don't we? We divide from our friends and from our families over needless things, about who is right, as if being right was what mattered most, as if what mattered most in the world was eloquence and wisdom and self-righteousness. This is Paul's exact message to the church in Corinth. He says, guys, I don't want you to come to the church because you think Paul is the best preacher. I don't want you to come to the church because you think Paul is the best expositor of Scripture. I don't want you to come to the church because you think Paul's theology is the most sound. Um, I want you to recognize that Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. Paul goes on to say that the core message of our faith is not about who's the wisest, who's the most eloquent, who's the strongest. It's about the story of the foolishness of God and the weakness of God overcoming the wisdom and the strength of man. It's about this idea that we are called to unite around and in and behind Jesus. And that's what gives us our unity that should survive all this division. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned not to each other, but to another standard which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Tozer says exactly what Paul is saying, that the way that we are united as the people of God is to fix our eyes on Jesus, is to say that in Christ we are new creations, in Christ we are a new community, in Christ we are this family that cannot be separated for lesser reasons. And we have this awesome responsibility because we're called to go out into the world and invite them to be part of this family too. We're called to go out in the world and say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for us. And if we as God's people can't be united to each other, how can we expect the world to be united in us? Today is Ordination Sunday, and we will ask our new elders and deacons to come forward in a moment, and they will take their oath of office. And when they do that, we have all these questions we ask them. One of those questions is, do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? I love this question because usually unity and purity are not easily combined concepts, right? Usually we say, well, purity means we have to separate and be with people that agree with us, but unity means we have to stay together. And I want to suggest that perhaps, perhaps Paul's message is that we can be in agreement around Christ, that the purity is related to our devotion to Jesus and the unity is related to our devotion to Jesus, um, that those two concepts are not separate but related 
and that there can be no conflict in us if we focus on not allowing other allegiances to come before that singular allegiance. Be in agreement around Jesus. So, I'm curious, uh, in your life, with whom is Christ calling you to be in agreement today? Uh, There may be individuals, there may be families, there may be friends um, that you need to find unity in Christ with today. We had a funeral here just a few months ago. Uh, And in fact, uh, Jihei was um, playing music for it and I was leading the service. And I got to tell you, to be perfectly honest, it was the most uh, exciting, might not be the right word, dramatic funeral I've ever done. Uh, I may have shared this with some of you, but um, I was aware there was some conflict around the family. By the way, this is not a family that's members of our church. Um, There was some conflict in the family. I knew that, um, but I was not prepared for the level of conflict. So, um, we met with the most immediate family members of the deceased, and we planned the service. And then the day of, family started arriving, and I actually had one side of the family asking me to call the police to evict the other side of the family from the funeral service. Never had that experience before. And I said, you know, I, I don't think that's legal. I don't think I can do that. Um, we, we, we're going to start on time because I always start funerals on time, and poor Jihei is up here playing piano. And in this conversation, I am just like trying to keep things calm, and she just has to keep playing. I think we started like 10 minutes late. You did a great job, by the way. Um, finally, we get into the service, and, and I'm not kidding you, this, this happened to be a, a, um, a, a, a family where one side of the family was sitting on this pew, this section, and the other side of the family was sitting in this section, n- n- never the two to meet. Uh, and it, it happened to be that this half the family was Caucasian, this half the family was African-American, and it was dramatic. So I got to the um, part of the service where I had been told in advance that I should say, would anyone like to share anything about the deceased? And I thought, I don't even want to say this. This is not going to go well. Um, But I did, and somebody who was planned got up and spoke, and then, of course, somebody unplanned got up and spoke. And this gentleman came up to the podium and he grabbed the microphone. He leaned on it so hard, I was pretty sure it was going to break. Um, and he preached the gospel. And he looked over at somebody on the opposite side of the pew, and he said, you know, we're in God's house, and we're celebrating our loved one, and we shouldn't have all this division. And I just want you to know I love you. And, you know, somebody says that if you're in the middle of a fight and you blow it off. So he said it again. He said it five times, I love you. Do you understand that I love you? I love you. Until finally, somebody from the other side of the pew got up, came on stage, gave him this huge hug, tears rolling down their faces. It was an unbelievable, beautiful moment, right, where they decided there was something more important than all of their history that bound them together. And I just wanted to say, man, you need to preach the rest of the service. And so I didn't say that. He stayed up there for a little bit, and then he got into talking about President Trump, and I said, no, you need to get off the stage. And <laughs> we, we, got, we got all this agreement. We don't need to go down that path. Um, It really was a beautiful thing, right? And I thought, boy, isn't that what we're called to do as the people of God, to say that in Christ we can be united to people with whom we don't agree. In Christ we can be united with people that we don't um, uh, have every little detail on the same page, even with people who have done wrong to us, right? We're called to forgive and to become new together. Our church is called to do that. 
Um, our church is called to be a church that is in agreement with other churches about the mission of Christ in our community. One of the reasons I'm excited about Bridge Street Mission and their work is because lots and lots and lots of other churches come together uh, of different denominations and backgrounds and no denominational background to advance the cause of Christ through Bridge Street. We do that with Hagar House. We do that other places in our community as well. And I think it's so exciting for me to see Christians coming together and saying, it doesn't matter if the names on the signs match uh, because the Savior and the heart matches. And I think this is ultimately the call of the people of God is to say, we want to reflect our union in Christ to the world in such a way that they want to be part of a family that loves like ours, that unites like ours. Three years ago, I, I told you a story um, that is my favorite Presbyterian story. Um, it's from the 1940s. There was a pastor in Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago named the Reverend Dr. H. Ray Anderson. And in the 1940s, he was pastor of what was probably the largest or one of the largest Presbyterian churches in Chicago. Uh, and in that time, there was a large population of Japanese immigrants or Japanese Americans in Chicago. And of course, during World War II, there was a lot of persecution of, of our Japanese American population. And so, Pastor Anderson would put on his robe and his stole, and on Sunday mornings, he would go out onto the street corner, and he would, in front of his whole congregation, welcome these Japanese immigrants into his church and welcome them into the family of faith. A lot of those Japanese Americans became members of Fourth Pres, and in time, they took up a collection, and they actually gave this offering, this gift to their pastor as a thank you for his hospitality and, and welcoming them in and recognizing that being united in Christ was greater uh, than their ancestry or their nationality. And then Pastor Anderson, a little bit later, took that money and he went to Scotland. Scotland, like the home of the Presbyterian Church. That's where we're from, people. We're all Scottish at heart. Uh, and in uh, and, and the birthplace of the Presbyterian Church, um, he took that money and he had two crosses commissioned, two gold crosses commissioned. And he came back and he gave those two gold crosses to the moderators, the leaders, of the two largest Presbyterian denominations in the United States. There was a northern church and a southern church. Turns out that in the 1800s, when the Presbyterian Church divided over slavery, Pastor Anderson's grandfather passed or, or made the motion to divide the church at the National Assembly of the Presbyterian Church at that time. And so it's been on his, his family's heart for literally three generations to do something about that. And so Pastor Anderson came back and he gave these crosses to both moderators, encouraging them to think about what it might mean to be united in Christ again. Skip ahead to 1983. In 1983, the northern and southern um, branches of the Presbyterian Church came back together. On that day, the moderators of both of those churches walked into a congregation together side by side, each wearing the cross that Pastor Anderson had given their predecessors. They came down to the center of the church, and there in the front of the service was a jeweler of Japanese descent who joined the crosses together with a rivet through the center. Those two moderators then hung the cross on the neck of the new moderator of this newly created Presbyterian denomination. And I think about that story, and I think that's exactly who we're called to be. Right? We're called to be a people who unite around the cross of Christ. We're called to be a people who unite around the crucified Christ. We don't all have to be the same. Unity isn't uniformity. We don't all have to sing the same. We don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to have the same name on our label. 
but we all must be on the same mission and be united behind the same message, that Christ crucified is the source of our life, is wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And our call as we reflect on Christ's work in our life is to say, how can we be so in tune with Jesus that we are in tune with each other? I want to end with a video that reminds us of the last prayer that Jesus prayed and our call to respond to it.